You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And now in our spotlight segment, I'm really thrilled to welcome Angie Madigan, who's the Vice President of Marketing of North America for Mars Food. Mars Food owns Ben's Original, which used to be called Uncle Ben's Rice Products. And last September, they changed their name to Ben's Original. So we're going to talk about how that happened and what that meant and why they did that. Angie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Barbara. Happy to be here. So before we get into this, this is like a pretty big marketing decision because you have all this brand equity tied up in it and you're in the middle of all of these cultural discussions. And I have to imagine you went through lots and lots of talk in order to, before you made this decision. But how did you get to the position you are at Mars? And tell us a little bit about the role of Uncle Ben's or Ben's original within the Mars you know, enterprise and how all of that stuff works. Sure, sure. So a little bit about me. I'm a 22-year CPG veteran, sales and marketing background. I joined Mars Food kind of in the middle of this. But a lot of my... Oh. Um, yeah, so if you can imagine, it was one of the things that actually drew me to the opportunity because... I saw it really as a, a once in a career, maybe even once in a lifetime opportunity to be not only a part of something like this, a rebrand, but also help drive the purpose that was behind um, Ben's original and where we're going. And so it was very, very attractive. Okay, so if you came in in the middle of it, tell me then, now I am more interested in all your background. <laughs> what did you have and how did you build off your resume to get to the point to take over this challenge? Sure. Yeah. So believe it or not, I actually grew up in the middle of farm country and I uh, had a career, excuse me, I had an um, undergrad degree in agricultural economics. So I had a food background and had never done anything in the food industry. I went and worked for Procter & Gamble in a sales career. Uh, and then partway through that, I pivoted to marketing because I always believed, it's actually served me quite well. I, I sort of believe we're all selling. So whether we're selling to a retailer or whether we're selling to a consumer. Um, and so I saw this as an opportunity of two things, really get back to my roots, get back to the food industry, if you will, um, and take all of the experiences I had had on consumer packaged goods brands and really apply it to this big transformational change that Mars Food was, was undertaking. You know, as long as you brought it up, and I've had a lot of people, you know, ask me about this, so I'm curious to hear how you define it. You made this distinction between selling and marketing. And a lot of people think of that as the same, you know, yeah. marketing, selling, same. But you really made, you, you talked about it as a pivot almost. So can yeah. you talk about why you see them as so separate? It's funny. We have a, a term here at Mars, we actually call it one demand because we think sales and marketing truly are the demand generators. Um, so they are very complementary, a lot, of, but they do have distinct roles, right? So I think of selling as managing that very important retailer relationship on the front lines, if you will, we can't do anything as marketers if it's not actually on a retailer's shelf or their digital shelf, right? And so they manage that. While I help in that a lot of the times, maybe going on sales calls, they are the ones that manage that day to day. And the marketing not only really focus on the consumer insights and how do we sell and get her or him to choose us at that first moment of truth, which generally is in our retailers 
either again, online or physical store. So uh, that's an interesting distinction. So selling is building the relationships with your customers and your customers are Walmart and Publix and the supermarkets. Um, And marketing is building the relationship with the end user and building the brand in some sense. Mm -hmm. And before we get to this discussion about Ben, let me just talk a little bit about this because I find this interesting and you have an interesting perspective on it. What we're seeing today is a lot more direct to end user marketing than we had in the past. Um, and, on, and I don't know how much Mars is doing that, but you definitely are seeing big brands in other categories, like say Nike, mm-hmm. who used to sell through wholesalers, is doing a lot of direct to consumer. They still have some wholesalers, but they pull back on a lot of wholesalers. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I would imagine CPG is never going to play like Nike does, because yeah. I can't imagine you not needing your wholesale channel. But do you have you started to prioritize a direct to consumer kind of play now that you can do it online in a way that you hadn't done it, say, 10 years ago? Sure. No, that's a great question. You know, for our brands and the relative size in the food industry, we truly believe that consumers and shoppers will primarily still go through the Publix, the Walmarts, you know, what or Instacart, Amazon Fresh of the world. You know, our, I can see why a brand like Nike might do something like that, but ours, you know, it's a relatively low cash outlay for our products. We tend to play the role of basket builder for a retailer. Typically, you don't run out of rice and say, I must go to the store tomorrow, like you might if you had milk or something to that degree. So we still think we'll have primarily a relationship through our retailers. And yet you're here to talk to us about branding, which is is, uh, end user kind of. So it's a little bit of a contradiction in all of this. And as as you're talking and I'm thinking about your background in food, you know, if I had to think of a commodity product, I'm pretty sure I'd put rice right up there. So the idea that you had a very well-known brand in a food product where the end user did know that brand. Um, And then you had to cope with some of the negative pushback on what this brand meant. I mean, this just starts to talk about the complexity of this decision. For sure, for sure. And from what I understand, there have been talks for a while about potentially changing the brand's name. And it really was, um, when we made that decision, it was absolutely the right thing to do. And it was in part, the Black Lives Matter movement helped propel us to make the decision at that time. But we spent a lot of time, as you can imagine, talking to our consumers, because this is not only a US or North American brand, it is truly a global brand. It's the world's largest rice brand. Uh, Over 80 years, we literally had generations who have grown up on our rice. Um, And so we we talked to them and we talked to a lot of people in the black community and our associates. You know, we produce this rice in the US in Greenville, Mississippi, which is a primarily Black community. And so we leverage all of those thousands of discussions to not only land the decision that we needed to change the name, but also what the name should be. So let's talk about the history, how the name come, come about. And then given you're the biggest rice brand, it's a very well-known brand. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I'm sure it had I'm sure you have metrics to prove it, but people just had very high brand awareness of this. You're in a category that could be considered a commodity. I'm not saying all rice Mm -hmm. is the same. I know it's not actually, but, but, you know, it's not a category that's heavily 
branded in general, like some of these other categories are, although I guess it is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me that. <laughs> but first, tell us about, let's talk about why the name came about in the first place, and then you can talk about how you're going to shift it. Sure. Yeah. So Uncle Ben's originally, um, we have somewhat of a, of a complicated, uncertain history, Barbara. Believe it or not, you know, there was legend about a farmer named Ben. Um, we have yet, as we went back with historical researchers, haven't been able to prove that. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, we, the gentleman who, who graced our packages as the face of Uncle Ben was um, a gentleman by the name of Frank Brown, who was a maitre d' in a Chicago restaurant. Um, that the ad agency frequented and we um, so his name wasn't even Ben <laughs> it wasn't even Ben correct yes yes and so you know the discussions really were in two things for some the image of Frank Brown elicited ideas of servitude because he was in um, his maitre d' outfit for the portrait and then for some it's particularly in the U.S. You know, there was a pejorative term in, in uncle with black men in our history. And so those things were the things that we knew um, we needed to change. So if you go back and I'm looking at a picture, although this is radio, we could describe it of the old packaging. There was a picture of a older black man wearing a, a suit, I guess, or a tuxedo with mm -hmm. a bow tie. And you're saying, I mean, I think of that as somebody who's well-dressed. What do I know? But you're saying that's a that was known symbolically as somebody who's in the serving industry. For and some, the other thing, for some, yes, for yeah. some, right. So you had to pick up on that. And I guess enough people did. And the notion of uncle Ben, and this guy's name isn't even Ben, but it's not unusual actually for food right. products to have a person's image on, on the package. And that person mm -hmm. isn't real. Like, I don't think there was a real Betty Crocker, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these other ones, I'm not sure they were ever real characters. This one actually was a real person. It just wasn't Uncle Ben, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. And when we made the change, again, talking to all of our, our consumers and associates globally, you talked about um, we had very strong brand awareness. So it was important for us to figure out a way to have those consumers still find this rice that they've grown up around and loved for generations. And so we chose to keep the Ben portion of it, add Ben's original. It speaks to um, the, the, the quality of our rice, uh, the inclusivity that we're trying to accomplish with our purpose um, and we kept our colors, the orange that you're seeing, if you're still looking at that package. Yeah, I'm looking blue. at it and I'm saying, lucky for you, you had a pretty eye-catching color. <laughs> we had outstanding colors and those things, we did a ton of work and research as fast as we can, as you can imagine, because we did all of this in less than a year and really came to, this was the right evolution that helped consumers still find our product. And then we did a ton of communication. We had, you know, pre-pre-launch, pre-launch, and now we're in the launch phase where we talked about consumers that we were changing. And then the next line of it was about, you know, same great rice, new name, same great rice. And now we're just talking about Ben's original. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because on one hand, you don't want, or I don't know, you tell me. I mean, on one hand, I would think you want it to be this automatic reaction. I mean, how much time do I spend in the grocery store picking out all my products? Right. Um, and I'd like to just buy the rice I always bought. It was great mm -hmm. rice. So you still mm -hmm. have a lot of people like that. And then the fact that you've got the colors the same and it looks like the typeface is- The typeface is exactly right. Same. Yep, same and so the, the Ben, mm -hmm. the Ben and the colors pop out. And if I'm going to 
just do it automatically, I might not even parse the change if it, if it didn't matter to me. So you can still capture the automatic reaction. And I wonder how much you tested that that was true. And then mm -hmm. on the other hand, you have people who are making informed decisions mm -hmm. and consciously deciding to put their money where their politics or where their beliefs are. And they mm -hmm. do think about this as a high involvement category. And so you have to change the name and change the positioning so that you acknowledge that segment too. Was this the kind of thinking you were doing and coming up with the new packaging? You bet. I mean, you talked a little bit about um, testing and, you know, pop and pace, all of those things we took a look at, as you can imagine, several different iterations. And, you know, my own personal experience, as we had shelves in the midst of changing, we had some old packaging, some new packaging. Sometimes you had to look really close to find the new or find the old, which we think is hopefully for those folks who are on, you know, autopilot in stores, they see the orange package, they find the variety that they like, and they go. But to your other point, we also feel like we evolved the brand and we did, we think a lot with the campaign to really create this more inclusive, what we want to be known for, be famous for in the future as well. You know, this is almost textbook on how to change a name in some sense, I think, because what you want to do is preserve the brand equity and preserve the goodness, brand awareness, top of mind awareness that you have with this name and presumably the high quality product that people have grown to love. So you want to build on your customer loyalty and you don't want to hurt that. And so your branding in the store is going to be on the things that we've talked about, things that you can, you can I mean, it is different. There's no doubt that cut the the packages are different, but I can see what you're saying. If I'm not paying a lot of attention, I'm not going to have a Tropicana problem here because uh -huh. I uh -huh. actually am seeing the same product kind of, I have uh -huh. to pay attention. On the other hand, you are making a statement and you are doing it deliberately and you're proud of that. Uh -huh. So you do want to market the story and the narrative that got to that point. Uh -huh. So where do you do that other marketing? How do you get that story out? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we have a multifaceted, multi-channel launch plan for Ben's Original. We just launched our new campaign that we're called, we're, it's being called We're All Original Recipes. It's bringing to life six nuclear family stories really built around a simple idea or a simple question. If we gave all these families one pouch of Ben's Original Rice, what would they do with it? And we bring in a very quick 15 second, and we have longer versions as well, um, their stories. And it's a diverse cast of families, real families. They're bringing together this very authentic, we're bringing um, a black nuclear family, roommates, family that uses primarily sign language, a Pakistani multi-generational family, and bringing together their original recipe and what brings them and highlighting what makes them unique. You know, I really like that because it sounds like you're redoing your history. Like if you could have done it right the first time, I, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You would have done it this way because I would guess that what you were trying to capture with that old brand, which now in, you know, that we're, we're understanding the world better. We can see the, where it might've gone astray or been misguided. But my guess to be charitable here is you were trying to tell that story. You were trying to tell the recipe and this was brand, this was rice that people really came to like and support. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. now with what, with your marketing, you're kind of rewriting history and saying, there are a lot of stories. We were only picking on one. And maybe that was the one we featured in a way that in hindsight, perhaps we shouldn't have, but let's 
double down on that idea of the story, but tell a lot of different people's story. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's the idea of inclusivity and, and celebrating individuality at its, at its greatest, right? And rice around the globe is really one of the core ingredients for so many meals in so many cultures. And we can highlight that and bring that to life through our marketing. And then also we can drive this idea of inclusivity and equality through our new brand purpose, which is we believe everyone deserves a seat at the table. And so we're doing some very big actions in that space as well to drive inclusivity and equality where we can. And that's a lot through food. As you're talking, two things come to mind. One is you definitely have to be authentic here because Mm -hmm. if you're taking on issues like this and it's perceived as a marketing ploy or something like that, it's going to backfire. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just not going to work. So you do have to have a message that you believe in and you're going to have to show things throughout the company that supports this new message. So I would imagine, you know, that's something you really have to think through. The other thing, and I'll just put both of these out there. You can talk to both of them. As you were talking about, you said your background in food and stuff. As you mentioned it, maybe not so much in the U.S., but certainly this is an international company. Rice is the mainstay of a lot of culture. And, you know, if I look at Uncle Ben, that kind of looks more American. I'm thinking of Asian cultures, Chinese culture. I know Chinese rice is different than Japanese rice is different Mm -hmm. than all of these other things. And I assume you're sensitive. You must be rice experts. So, you know, all this stuff, you know, how do you get all of those cultural differences in the marketing of rice as well? Yeah, I'll take the first, the first question. So go back to the second, hopefully, you know, you talked about, you have to be very purposeful in, in what you're doing. And, and we're, we believe we'll be judged by our actions, not just our ads, Barbara. And so this idea of offering everyone a seat at the table, we are bringing to life through significant investments, multi-year commitments that we've made. And we're doing it in a couple of ways. One, through access to nutritious food, and then improving diversity and inclusion in the food service industry. And just to give you an idea of the type of investments that we're making this year, we'll donate $3 million of food um, through partnerships like Feeding America and CARES. Those are long-term partners with Mars and Mars Food. I talked a little bit about that we produce our product in Greenville, Mississippi. And so we want to build a healthy community there as well. So we're donating $2.5 million over five years in partnership with a great retail partner, Kroger in the Delta region, and then also Molina Healthcare to drive access to healthy, nutritious meals, and then also education. And then last but not least, we created a fund, a scholarship fund called the Seed the Table Fund that over the next five years will be granting $2 million worth of scholarships to Black students who are wanting a degree in the food service industry, maybe aspiring to be a chef. And we partnered with National Urban League and UNCF, and we're really excited. In the next couple of weeks, we're actually gonna be announcing our first round of scholarship recipients truly helping them to have a seat at the table and then creating future future meals for many of us, probably. Let me reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn. This is Marketing Matters. And we're joined today by Angie Madigan, Vice President of Marketing for North America for Morris Food. And she's talking about Ben's original rice and some of the pivots they've done and really going back to what rice means and, and what they mean for the community and inclusivity. And it is kind of interesting hearing all the initiatives that you've just outlined. You know, you're a rice company and you're putting money into all of these different things. It really speaks to what's the role 
of businesses and brands um, in our economy. And I know like a couple of years ago, a bunch of CEOs signed some edict that, you know, American brands or international brands really should be more than just selling products or marketing products. They really need to give back to the community. And it sounds like Mars has really embraced this whole you know, 100% from the initiatives that you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. And, and Mars and the Mars family and, and all of our brands have, have been donating for years, right? It's a part of who this company is, but we made a concerted effort specifically around Ben's original and this rebranding effort to get very clear on our purpose. And to your point, it, some could perceive rice as a commodity, but for generations, shoppers and consumers have chosen our rice in part for a reason. One, the high quality, of course, but also that they bought into our brand and the position of quality. And we hope for years to come that they will continue to see our brand as one that's purpose-driven and that they want to support our efforts in, in part by buying our orange Ben's original bag of rice. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're not just buying the rice. They're buying all these other programs that you're mm -hmm. suggesting. And so as a consumer, I am also supporting the programs you're suggesting. Let's get back to, by the way, does ben, this name Ben's Original, does it go on other products besides just rice or is it just this extensive rice? It's just product? rice. Yeah, it's it just, is just rice. rice. Mm -hmm. And you talk and, a lot about there is commodity rice. And our, the predominant form that we sell in the U.S. is we call ready to heat. It is a value added proposition that we see a lot of consumers going to that helps them get dinner on the table quickly for their families. So it's like, do you have the still have the word minute rice and all of that? Is that still? Well, like, that would be our that would be our competitor. Oh, that's the competitor. <laughs> oh, really? I thought yeah. of that as a name of a type of category. Wow, yeah, but, that's not good for yeah. them necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for clearing that up. So let's talk about how Ben's original markets themselves um, internationally then. So sure. does this work in these different cultures and the way rice is very different in, uh, particularly in Asia, or I guess even Latin America, I think rice is very important in all those cuisines. Correct. Yes. So we have a global footprint. Ben's original is our most global brand across Mars food, um, heavy presence in Europe, and then heavy presence in Australia as well. So we have less, much, much, much less in those other areas that you were talking oh, about from a cuisine standpoint. Mm -hmm. Oh, so but you do market more to Western type of foods more than some of these other types of foods. Is there a thought to go into these other marketplaces where there's a lot of different types of rices or not? I'm sure always we're looking at expansion opportunities by geography, right? You have to have the right go-to-market strategy in that particular region for Mars and Mars food more holistically. And for us, we want to make sure that you know, for us and for a consumer, we can drive value. And so it depends on that market, what we see in that particular opportunity. But around the globe, we are transitioning to Ben's Originals, the name as you talked about, um, in all the markets in which, in which we sell today. I actually think that'll be an asset internationally too. It's a it's a more it's a broader name than the other one. I think it's actually an advantage, aside from the reasons you're saying, but also just for growth. And you can imagine over time through a big global brand, um, this is a bit of a reset, right? You can globally globally harmonize again. Every piece, every package is being touched, and so everything's going to look very very similar. As any global brand knows over time, it can have a chance to morph and based upon when packages are updated in certain countries and not. So it'll be a great, great brand new reset for the brand. 
Yeah, that's interesting. You know, another trend that we're seeing, um, and maybe we're seeing this during the pandemic also, is this nutritional and sustainability um, emphasis. And I imagine Rice can speak to that. Is that part of your campaigns too, or part of these original recipes and things like that, that premise? A big part of how we go to market and, and um, from our channel plan is recipe content, as you can imagine. And we have that not only on our sites, but through partnership sites, through our retailer sites too. We try to highlight the benefit of, we call it healthy, easy, affordable, tasty, and trying to create recipes of inspiration for our consumers and make it easy for them to buy our product and input it in their carts. Speaking of easy and affordable, during the pandemic, a lot of the CPG firms did quite well. Was, was yours one of the products that did pretty well during the pandemic? If you can imagine, it was a, a challenging year because you you never want to create more demand than you have supply. And yeah. I think like us, you know, in many other CPG companies, we had a lot of, of, of demand. And so, yes, we did quite well. And then, you know, what's interesting is we're actually seeing some of these consumer trends stick and we're seeing this idea of cooking at home staying. And we think that it might stick around for a while between hybrid or flexible work arrangements. You know, consumers need an easy way to get lunch or dinner on the table quickly. And we, that's a role that we think that Ben's original can play. Yeah, I mean, if I, I know I'm a sample size of one, but I ate out every single meal before the pandemic and I cooked every single meal during the pandemic. And I'm definitely going to go back somewhere in the middle. I'm not going <laughs> to go back to eating out all the time because once I've learned how to cook, I kind of appreciate those new right? meals. <laughs> well, Angie, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and everything going on at Mars Food? Bensoriginal.com. Oh, easy. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins, Chris Tooks, and our producer, Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and we replay our show several times throughout the week. You can follow our show on Twitter at SXM Marketing, and you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. Thank you for listening today. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn, and this is Business Radio Sirius XM 132. Sirius XM is the destination for the best of podcasts, including shows especially for parents. Listen to real talk about raising little kids. This is Have Kids, They Said, and it is not for kids. This is about kids. Unpack the mysteries of fatherhood. Dads, the podcast. Not just for dads, but for dads and non-dads. Explore motherhood in all its shapes and sizes. A mom cast. We're moms and we're momming. Hear them all on the Sirius XM app. Download it today and tap podcasts.